Welcome, everyone, to episode 319 of Fergon Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and today we've got a very special guest. It is Brian Lowe from Rugby League Planet, and I wanted to get him on to talk about what is going on in rugby league in the United States, because there's a lot of different things that are going on and a lot of different dynamics that are at play. So thanks for joining us, Brian. Well, Freaky, uh, thank you for inviting me onto your show. It's a pleasure. Um, we've, if you've been around rugby league long enough and you saw the announcement from the North American Rugby League, you were super excited, but you were waiting for something to go wrong. And when they decided to put the season off for a year, it kind of, it, it hurt. And so I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on it? And how do you think this is going to play out? Because the United States Rugby League, which is the established competition already, they've seemed as though they're, they've got open arms to all of the teams that had been set up and ready to rock and roll in the North American Rugby League. But that's an amateur competition. They were going to be, I guess you could call it a semi-professional competition. How do you think this is all going to play out? That's a very good question. Uh, first, the first question you asked, uh, I was not surprised by them shelving their plans to start up in 2021. Uh, and I say that because, look, I've been in uh, the United States since 2000, and I've seen this many times before. And I'm sure you'll remember, wasn't that long ago when a guy out of Sydney by the name of Jason Moore um announced his plans for a mm -hmm. professional rugby league competition in the U.S. and Canada. And he was also going to do the England versus New Zealand uh, uh, annual game out of Denver. Well, that, I went to the first game in Denver. That was the end of that. And I'm not being uh, I'm not trying to be a, a smart aleck here, but but seriously, in the 20 years I've been covering rugby and rugby league and rugby union, for that matter, in this country, I've seen this more than uh, a few times. And uh, before Jason Moore, there was a guy called William Tatham, Tatham Jr. who was going to do a thing called Grand Prix Rugby and, and so on and so forth. And there were, there were several before him. So in answer to your question, no, I wasn't surprised. And second question is, I'm, I'm glad it actually happened because um, I wrote about it initially that I thought if this thing went ahead – it could be a repeat of what we had in 2011 in this country when the USARL, as you referred to in your opening uh, uh, statement there, split from the, the, the then governing body, American National Rugby League, the AMNRL. And, uh, you know, I, I was hoping that, uh, and I'm, I still am for that matter, that we don't have a repeat of that because it didn't do the game any good in this country in terms of especially you know, the way people overseas look at it. And and I want to just address something you said before uh, when you said that people were hurt by this. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, and I, and I say that because um, what people, particularly rugby league fans in Australia and in England, northern England for that matter, uh, but nowhere else, don't seem to understand that rugby league in North America is a fringe sport. It's not a mainstream sport, and in my opinion, it never will be. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that based on, as I say, 20 years of experience covering it. And, and rugby union, for that matter, has an even longer history in this country than does rugby league. And yet they are not uh, a top-tier 
a sport in this country. Um, let me let me just give you a very quick rundown of the of, of the sporting uh, uh, pecking order, if you like, in America. You've got NFL, which is the king of sports, and probably you could say you could argue it's the king of sports universally because it is in many ways. You then have college football after that. Then you've got the NBA, the basketball competition. Then you've got MLB, Major League Baseball, which is going on right now because it's that time of year. And then you have, to a lesser extent, you've got the NHL, the hockey, and NASCAR is giving them a run for their money in the number four spot. And um, beyond that, you have things like uh, professional lacrosse, for example, and, uh, and the Indy cars and what have you. So American sports fans, the point I'm trying to make here, pretty much have their pecking order that they like, that they've known forever, it seems. Mm-hmm. And they're not really open that much to, to fringe sports. And I, I don't mean to be, you know, uh, derogatory about rugby league and or rugby union, but that, that's what they are. They're fringe sports here. They're not even a blip on the sporting radar. So you've got to keep that in mind when you talk about things like the North American Rugby League. And I think from from the perspective of them starting up out of, you know, from nothing was um, was pie in the sky, frankly. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether, you know, whether you agree with that, whether your your, your readers and listeners would agree with that. But but but, but from, <laughs> from my perspective, that's how it is. No, it, it did. It come across to me as, like I said, if you've. If you've followed the game long enough, you feel like you've seen the signatures that were all over this before where you, there's a, a lot of really cool ideas. And if they come, if they'd come off, it would have been awesome to see. And everyone hopes that it works, but you don't get your hopes up because you've kind of seen this before. And as you say, like, I mean, and I wrote an article not that long ago on my website where I was like, you know, how many times have we heard about, you know, there was a supposed to be an Australia versus Tonga test in New York. Well, that never happened. And right. how many times have the North, uh, the Northern Eagles, I was going to call them, the Manly Seagulls, how many preseason games are they going to be playing China that never happened? And there's always something that never happens in rugby league. And so when I saw this all happening over in the United States and Like from afar, it looks really cool and they did really good PR on it, it has to be said. But I was kind of waiting for the bottom to drop out of it. Unfortunately, just as a rugby league fan, I've just seen it so many times and it was really disappointing when it happened. And um, yeah, it, it made me sad that it happened because I started to hear about a lot of clubs that had gone pretty much over in the United States, I mean, all in and, and really, you know, they, they'd got playing groups together. They'd, they talked about the opportunities that, you know, young athletes might be able to have in rugby league, as you say, in this fringe sport that a lot of them had never even heard of. And it, it, it was just disappointing that it all sort of happened the way it does. And I do hope in a year from now, we're talking about how this season's just kicked off, but I don't know. I, I I just I've seen it too many times, and I I need to see it with my own eyes working before I commit to it in my soul. I guess is the way to put it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree with you a hundred hundred percent. Let's go back to the beginning of this NARL stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've always had a, a problem trying to say that. Yeah, because uh, I want to say NRL, but but you know how that goes. Um. 
Look, the guy behind it, one of the one of the main guys behind it, a guy called Ricky Wilby. I'm sure everybody is, well, most rugby league fans are pretty much well aware of who he is. He he was, you know, with one of the uh, French rugby league clubs up until about 2016, 2017, when he became the front man for that uh, much publicized New York rugby league franchise, which was going to join the RFL and do what Toronto Wolfpack did, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Four years down the track, nothing has happened and it's not going to happen. That franchise has gone by the way, hasn't it? It's now become the New York Freedom Rugby League Club, which was a merger between that franchise of Wilby's crowd and uh, the, the former White Plains Wombats team that was uh, a team in the USARL. So let, let's get that straight. Now, he he told me at one point that he had a very uh, limited uh, part to play in the A or the NARL, yet it turns out he was the CEO. And him right. and the COO, Rob Curtis, uh, were, were much behind all this publicity you just talked about initially. But but here's the thing, Freaky. They were talking about coming up with – first of all, they had 14 teams. They announced they were, were going to have 14 teams in their competition. There were going to be six out here on the West Coast. There were going to be six back east, and there were going to be two in Canada. And each one of those teams was going to be uh, funded with $300,000. Now, if you do the math, if you get your calculator out right now as you're listening, you do the math, that comes to $4.2 million. <laughs> really? So who who has that kind of money? Ricky Wilby doesn't, and his crowd certainly doesn't. Um, so I don't know how they ever came up with that amount. Now, then they announced not that long ago, well, the Western Conference, that's not going to happen for various reasons in 2021. So we're going we're gonna to ratchet back to um, eight teams. Well, again, on your calculator, that comes to 2.4 million bucks. Where's that money coming from? Because I saw the contracts. I saw uh, one contract that was uh, bandied about by the NARL for players. And listen, I'm not a legal expert, Freaky, but I can tell you it was very, very uh, – I was very leery of it. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, when they were saying, you know, players had to do this and that in order to get the money. And they weren't going to get – frankly, they weren't going to get much money anyway per game. It was only a matter of a few hundred bucks per player. So let's get that straight too, for, the, for right from the get-go. It's not as if we're talking about NRL contracts. Is that's yeah. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about very uh, small amounts of money for players and, and all that sort of stuff. So when they announced recently that they were going to, you know, shelve plans for this year and they're going to try and get it going in the spring of 2022, um, I like I said, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I look, I when it was first announced, I was kind of. I, I was doing the sums in my head as well. Like I was just going like, okay, flight costs from the west coast to the east coast for, and I know that they broke it down a little bit in terms of they had the the uh, Canadian teams were a bit different to the North American teams. But I was just thinking flight costs, and I don't know. And then I then I looked at their their broadcasting deal, which was on a streaming service, and me and Andrew looked it up because we were going to buy it. And it was something really, it was really good value. It was like $10 for the yeah. entire season. And I was like, hmm, that that's still, I don't see where the money's coming from. And I kept on going back to where's the money coming from. And there wasn't some big backer behind it. 
and that that was also a concern for me that like just you know with most things in life follow the money and uh, that, well, there was no money i just didn't see it i didn't see how it was going to work well this is the point isn't it that's precisely the point where is the money coming from who who are the backers now you know um uh, uh th- that league uh talked about people that they had appointed to uh, attract sponsorships. I mean, some people use the term investors. That was incorrect. They were not investors. They initially appointed three people uh, in the role of uh, being responsible for bringing in sponsorships and advertising. Well, at, at some point, not that far down the track, two of them bailed. They said, no, we're not going to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So then the league appointed two new people, both based in England, to, uh, you know, lure in the sponsorships and then the advertisers and everything else. Well, obviously that just didn't work because if it had have, then they would have been starting their season uh, this month, but, but it didn't. Uh, Now getting to that funny, you mentioned that um, streaming service. I think it's an Australian one. Sports flicks, I think is what it's called. And yeah, you're right. 999 was the, was the total. Who is going to pay that money to watch a competition that is, doesn't exist and yeah. you got players i mean let's 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 be honest about this freaky what do you think the standard of play was going to be yeah who's going to pay for that to watch yeah. that and, and like me and andrew we're we're diehards like there's i've talked about this before on the podcast we sat down once and on youtube watched i think it was germany versus the netherlands that was being recorded on a mobile phone so we're the outsiders there's not hundreds of thousands of people like us, you know. So, but, and I was surprised. I thought if it had been $30 a month, I would have been like, okay, I, I see where, you know, this is a niche thing where if you want it, you're going to pay a certain amount for it. When I saw it was nine ninety nine, I was like, oh man, that's, that's really cheap. And, you know, it, it just surprised me. I, I was just worried about, where all the where all the money was kind of come from from what was a very ambitious idea like it was it was kind of a you know you saw them starting to talk about having marquee players which I always that worried me as well because you know what's you know Tony Williams playing for the New York team what's that going to actually do and I I just it really worried me and then there's concerns also about you get like a say a club like Ottawa who have had a really good social media presence, and I hope it all works, but they don't really exist as a football club at the moment. And uh, as much as I want all of this stuff to work, I, I just see a lot of really cool Twitter posts and stuff about it, but there's not actual football teams playing football. No, you're quite right there. Uh, they're just teams on paper. And as far as the Ottawa team goes that you brought up, I happen to know the guy who's been running this social media campaign. Mm. Nice guy. Yeah. But he tells me that the actual fact of the matter is there is no team. Mm. And they neither the, the, the uh, Toronto, you know, the, the, the new revamped Toronto Wolfpack doesn't have a team either. So they were going to have tryouts later this month in Canada for both those teams. And then we're going to pick squads and they're going to play their so-called Canada Cup games and so on and so forth. So at this point in time, we're just we're just a matter of at this point, as we record this, we're only a week away from the, uh, uh, you know, proposed start of the new season for this new league. And and those two teams didn't even exist, mm-hmm. uh, didn't even have squads. It's, it's just totally ridiculous to even 
put this kind of thing forward. Look, I don't mean to sound um, like a negative Nelly. Uh, You know, rugby league is a a game I I, I love. I've been following it forever, and that's why I write about it. But seriously, seriously, if you're going to start a new competition in 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 a Fringe market, and let, let's face it, in, uh, North America, in terms of rugby league anyway, is a fringe market because the codes here don't really exist in any big way. Uh, you've got to put the, you've got to come up with the money. And none of these guys, and I'm going back as, you know, over the last 20 years, I, I, as I said before, I've heard many, many different uh, versions of, uh, of, of, you know, proposed. Uh, national competitions and so on and so forth. Not one of them has ever uh, actually eventuated. And, and, I, and as I said before, I just I don't ever see it. Uh, don't see it ever happening. Now, while all of this is happening in the North American Rugby League, we've got the United States Rugby League, which is the established competition, I guess is the best way to put it. And the official governing body of the game over there, they're co- it seems as though they're just going on their way and trying to play out their season as it would normally have been played out. Now, I know they had a couple of teams that went across to the North American Rugby League. It seems as though they're they're willing to embrace any team that kind of wants to go back to the United States Rugby League. But the thing I've always said about Rugby League in the United States is it's its own self-sustaining thing. Like, it always has felt as though... It hasn't relied upon outside influences to keep it going. It's people there in the United States who they they like this weird sport that none of their friends know about, and they it's kind of something they do themselves, and it's its own little culture, and it's cool. I, I really like it, and you know we've seen in the past where they've had different things that they've had to deal with. I, I know that there was a big blow up about when they made one of the World Cups not too long ago and basically all the local players were brushed aside for a bunch of guys from Sydney and England who had grandparents that were from the United States and the local players didn't like that. But what do you think that the the established local competition, what effect do you think that all of this is going to have on them? And do you think that they'll be able to bring the game back together on some level? Like it's a bit of a task, isn't it? Because they they've got all of these teams that were promised money and all this sort of stuff, and they're saying, "Look, you can keep playing, but we're basically an amateur competition." Yeah, the USARL um, is is a pay to play competition. In other words, mm-hmm. the players uh, they don't get paid; uh, they have to pay, you know, obviously registration, insurance, and so on and so forth. And as you mentioned earlier on in the interview, uh, they also have to pay to fly. I mean. Okay, most of the teams are on the East Coast. Um, but even so, if you're flying from Jacksonville, Florida, up to Boston or New York, as was the case, it probably won't be this year, uh, you still had to pay for your airfare, your hotel bill. You know, and even even though American uh, airfares and hotel bills are, are quite a lot uh, less expensive than they are in Australia, you're still, because I've done it myself many times, yeah. you're still looking at minimum 500 bucks layout for a particular weekend, it, you know, and then you've got to get the time off. This is the other thing people in Australia don't get. Mm. When when you're playing for Jacksonville, for example, and you've got to go to Philadelphia to play the team up there that weekend, you've got to get 
Friday off from your job so you can catch a plane, fly up, play the game Saturday, come back Sunday. Not everybody can get time off at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. And, and then you've got to, as I said, you've got to, you've got to pony up your own, you know, the, the 500 bucks or sometimes more if there's a, if there's a rental car involved and stuff like that. So the answer to your question is you may have seen the article I wrote recently about that. The USARL chairman, Danny Hansen, I thought was very magnanimous and, uh, offered the olive branch to the NARL teams and players and said, if you want to, you can come and play with us. But, in the same article, I also uh, referred to uh, one of the guys who was with the North, oh, sorry, the New York Freedom Club, who said, "No, we don't want to play. None of our guys want to play with the USARL. You know, we'd rather have the season off rather than play with them." So, I, I think to answer your question, Freaky, um, the, yes, the USARL it started its regular season this weekend, just gone. And uh, it'll play out until August when it has the grand final and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there are fewer teams because there were three or four teams that defected to the new guys, and now they're not going to play at all. Um, I, I think it's going to have a derogatory effect, a detrimental effect, perhaps is a better word, on the competition in this country. And, and that's a very sad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I Look, I, I tend to agree. And it. I saw some people – tweeting towards you and they they tweeted towards me a little bit too and they seem to be against these clubs from the North American Rugby League playing this season with the United States Rugby League and I couldn't understand the idea of like and I understand if you're a player and somebody said we're going to give you even a hundred bucks per game and, and that's generous saying, look, I'm not getting 100 bucks per game. Why would I put myself through this? And it's a phys- the physical toll as well. And the possibility of getting injured, which I think is another thing that people don't think about. Um, but the idea of like, no, it's better that we don't play any games at all, I found that kind of crazy because you've got to have the momentum of the sport. Like you've got to want to play it enough that you will play sort of whenever you can get a chance because it's not like you're playing for, it's not like these are professionals that are saying, I'm a professional. I can't afford to not play for for no money. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with you again on that one. Um, I would have thought if I was a guy who'd signed up with a new club and then suddenly there was no season, I would have thought it would make sense to go and play with the existing competition, at least to get some game time mm-hmm. and at least to uh, hone your skills. Because here's the other thing. if Because the USARL, as you quite rightly said, is the national governing body of the domestic clubs competition in this country, if you don't play for a team in that competition, you are not eligible to play for the men's national team, i.e. the USA Hawks. And now we've got... Um, 2022, you've got the uh, America's Championship coming up and, uh, well, it's a qualifier for the next World Cup is what it will be. It'll double up. Now, if you're not playing for a USARL team, you don't even get a shot at, at getting selected for the national team. So that, to me, if I was a fair dinkum about, you know, playing the game and wanting to go as far as I could, that would really bother me. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, like, it's not like it's a gigantically long season either. Like it's a, it's a few months. And I, I was surprised by the stance that, 
that was coming from some supporters of the North American Rugby League. Um, how do you think that this is going to affect the the World Cup for the uh, for the Hawks because they have lost they will have lost some players with those clubs that have defected and aren't playing this year. I'm guessing that a lot of those players that are good enough will either change clubs or they'll go and play rugby union. And it worries me about how the Hawks team will go in terms of the international side of things. Yeah, me too. I don't think they'll go very well, frankly. Um, you talked about it earlier on, and I, you, you were referring to the 2013 Rugby League World Cup when mm -hmm. the, the Hawks got to the quarterfinals when they got done by the by the Kangaroos, as you would have expected. But I, I look, I agreed with the AMNRL's philosophy at that time, where they took advantage of the eligibility, uh, you know. Uh, rules that the that, that were in place for international rugby league. I mean some of the players were born in America, some weren't, as you said. Some had parents who were born here, some had grandparents who were born here. Doesn't matter. They were still eligible to play for the US. And frankly, if you can get in your team, your national team, some some guys who play in Australia and other guys who play in the Super League in England or something like that. And you really, really you don't want guys who are beneath the Super League level because they're they're not really going to help you much. Quite, and I don't mean that to be. I'm not trying to sound nasty or be nasty mm. about that. But let's that, let's let's be honest about it. You want to give your team, your country, the best possible shot of going as far as you can at a World Cup. And if you only have homegrown players when you come from a country like this, where rugby league is a fringe sport, as I've said a couple of times, you're not going to go very far. Yeah, and it's that's what worries me. It's like their player pool, which is is pretty small to begin with. It shrunk, even if it shrinks like fifteen percent, that's a whack. You know, that's a that's a decent amount of players that maybe you were going to take that won't be there. Um, and so that concerns me as well. If the North American Rugby League doesn't end up getting up off the ground, do you think the United States Rugby League competition and, and the people that run it have the ability to kind of bring things together out of the ruins of that? Yeah, I do. Um, and I say that because they did it. 10 years ago mm -hmm. when I, as I told you, they, they, you know, when they split from the AM NRL at the time. Um, yeah, there was some, uh, there, it was a rupture and yeah, there was some ups and downs, peaks and troughs and so on and so forth, but they got through and, um, the game here, well, started to flourish. I guess I can put it that way. I think they can, um, because there were, look, I know, I know pretty much all the guys who were involved in these clubs uh, in both leagues. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think they have the wherewithal to, let's say that the new guys don't actually get going at all and they just go away like all the rest of them have in the past. I think that at that point you'll see players then maybe change their attitude a bit and they will go back to the USARL. And that's what they probably ought to do in that instance. And then that way, that will boost the local competition to a degree. And then when you add in your, your overseas eligible players, overseas based eligible players, I should say, then I think you will get a reasonably good, uh, USA team uh, for the, for the next World Cup. But, but, but all this remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah. It's all, it's all a lot of hope. And that's the thing that 
comes out of a lot of these situations where you see something and it feels too good to be true. And then you see that it takes a step back and you just hope it works out for everyone. Like I'm sure you would agree with me if there could be a, you know, semi-professional on any level rugby league competition in the United States, we would both sign up for that today, but you know, it needs to work. It needs to be sustainable. And that's the big thing. Um, Do you think there's any, possibility that a club like the Toronto Wolfpack who were an outrageous success up until the point of COVID stepped in and really spiked that club do you think there's any possibility that they could end up playing in the United States Rugby League or are the travel costs is it just a a bridge too far is the are the travel costs too much and is it just too ambitious for that sort of step to happen uh, no, I don't think it's too ambitious. I uh, d- again, it depends on who their backers are and how much funding they have at their disposal. Because there has been talk here the, over the last couple of years that I've been covering, where uh, the the Ontario provincial side has been looking at uh, uh, being a part of a new. St- uh, expansion conference in the Midwest of the United States. In other words, Chicago, that area there. Mm-hmm. So you've already got some, you've got a uh, one or two Chicago based teams that exist. You've got uh, the Cleveland guys, you've got another team in um, Columbus, Ohio, and they were looking at bringing in the, the Ontario side as well to, to, you know, play their own competition in the Midwest, which would be aligned with the USARL. They wouldn't, they wouldn't play teams in the Eastern Conference and they wouldn't play teams over here in California for that matter, but they would play their own competition. Uh, so there would be some, some cross border travel involved. Um, Toronto Wolfpack, I, I don't know, Freaky, I, I, I think the only reason they lasted as long as they did was because of the Australian, what do they call them now, um, uh, mining magnate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the guy who had the money there. And, and look, he, look, David Argyle is the guy I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. What he did was he paid for that team for three years. They didn't make any money. Okay? Yeah. And I think the transatlantic thing was a dismal failure, quite frankly, because if it wasn't for him – forking out the money for the teams from England to come to, to Toronto to play and then for the Toronto team to go and play in England, uh, it would never have happened. And, I, and that's why I doubt that the Ottawa Aces team will ever become part of the RFL. Same reason. It just doesn't work. It's yeah. not going to work. And, it doesn't and it, make sense financially. Yeah, it's always going to have to be something that's subsidised. And as long as they don't have the a, a local tv um deal that of any size really like that's why the new zealand warriors work and people don't realize this the new zealand warriors actually generate more in television money in new zealand than they do in terms of how much they get from the nrl each year to cover the salary cap and that's why that works if that wasn't working that the new zealand warriors would be in a lot of trouble um and, and that's one of the big key pieces of the deal. Um, but it, like, it, it still, it was so sad to see what happened with the Wolfpack because I don't think any of us have seen those sorts of crowds sustained. And like people that were brought to the game and they had a, a certain atmosphere at those games. And, you know, they were starting to get coverage in the media in Toronto, which is a really big city, bigger than Sydney. 
And it, it was the way that it all stopped. And look, I know that COVID played a gigantic part of it, but oh man, that was heartbreaking seeing all that happen. Yeah, yeah, okay, but again, I wasn't surprised, and I, <laughs> I, I, I sounded like a, uh, a, a you know, on, on a downer here, but but it, look, uh, I've been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. and as you and I've been talking about, uh, you gotta have financial backing, and 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 the Toronto thing, yeah, it lasted for three years because of one person's financial backing. It wasn't make like I said before, it wasn't making any money, and and frankly. Most they were getting crowds of around about eight thousand. But how many of those tickets were freebies? How many actually? How many people actually paid up to go and watch a game of rugby league in Toronto? Most Canadians don't know what rugby league is. Again, you've got to be you've got to be honest about that. Yeah. They've got other sports over there or up there rather that um, are far more. Uh, uh, crowd drawing if you like than, than than rugby league or even rugby union of course you've got canadian football you've got ice hockey stuff like that even mls soccer draws bigger crowds than than the wolfpack did and they were playing at a, a you know lamport stadium it's not a big place um and and i don't mean to be to, 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 like I, I said before to sound negative about all that but but you've got to also take a realistic look at this stuff <laughs> and yeah it was a nice idea and yeah you know it lasted for three years and yeah okay they made their way up to super league a year longer a year later than what they had planned to but and, but they made it and that's great happy for them but it was not going to be a long-term proposition it's just because again as we've been saying many times in this this interview uh, the funding just wasn't there not long term yeah. anyway yeah and, and it's it's funny because it does sound like we're being pretty negative but like if you've seen it enough you know it it has to start with that funding and get the funding in place and then let's do something it, it can't be the other way around um of, of all of the teams that were created out of the North American Rugby League, some of them seem to have their 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 stuff together more than others. And I, I, one of the ones that seemed to be that way was the Cleveland team, who they seem to be actually doing stuff. They seem to be um, trying to make something happen. Are there teams within those new clubs that were created that you think would be an asset? to the game if they did go to the United States Rugby League competition. Yeah. Yeah, I as I said before the New York Freedom team. Uh I think the uh, the you know the former White Plains Wombats merged with the New York Rugby League franchise became the Freedom. I think they they were the guys as you said before who uh, initially signed Tony Williams. Um they I I think uh, if if they continue will be a good one. Uh the DC Cavalry down in Washington. Uh, which was the the former Nova, which was the uh, that that actually is an abbreviation for the Northern Virginia uh, side. Um, that they're pretty good, DC. Um, Atlanta, which defected to the NARL from the USARL, they, they they're they're doing okay. They won their uh, uh, exhibition hit out last weekend against the the Delaware Black Foxes. Yeah, I think they can do Cleveland. I don't know, Cleveland. Um, they're very good on social media, whether or not they actually have much behind them in terms of, you know, the physical rugby league stuff. I don't know. I haven't been to Cleveland to see that, but mm-hmm. 
even if they even if they don't good good for them and i hope that they they can continue in some way shape or form but i think that the main fact here or the main thing you got to look at the main thing i look at let me put it that way is when you're talking about growing the game of rugby league in america and canada for that matter you need to do it organically you've yeah. got to have uh, domestic competitions. You can't just bring in these transatlantic teams and, and hope that's going to do it. Because look at Toronto. They didn't have one Canadian on their roster, for Pete's sake. They had a bunch of Aussies, a bunch of has-been Aussies, and a bunch of has-been Poms, and that was their squad. There was no Canadian. What, what are they doing to grow the game in Canada? Zippity-doo-dah. That's what they were doing. Nothing. And I don't think that's the way you do it in a, in a, a, a country like the U.S. and a country like Canada. You've got to have local players. You've got to have the homegrown players. You touched on that before. That's the way to do it. So eventually your national team is predominantly made up of homegrown players. That's where you're going to you're going to you know reap the rewards down the track. But that takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, and and uh, it was interesting because towards the end of the Toronto Wolfpacks time as a as super league club and it was very short-lived but there were starting to be those questions i noticed from people of like okay but what are you doing for the local game there and it was a question they really didn't have an answer for and i get it because they they were to some extent treading water just trying to survive um and, and they didn't have time to look at that side of things um, I, and I also think with rugby league in the United States, I've always been of the opinion of, you, you know, there's people that say, well, we should have a team in New York, team in DC, team in Atlanta, team in Miami and stuff. And it's like, no, you've got to aim for markets. And I say markets and like, I know the game isn't big enough to be even talking about markets over there, but I, I feel like there are niche places where you could find a place for the game that the name might not be the sexiest name and it might not be the sexiest location, but for whatever reason, local people in, in these, in a small area just gravitate towards the game for whatever reason that it is available to them, that it is cheaper to play than other games that, you know, it's visible in that local area for whatever reason. And I've always felt like, there's been a tendency at, at times to aim for the big cities when maybe the best thing to do is to aim for smaller areas. Yeah, you nailed it, Freaky. Yeah. Jacksonville, to my mind, is is a shining example of what mm-hmm. you're talking about. The Jacksonville Axemen, uh, you know, they've won the national championship a couple of times. Um, I think that they have a great model that other teams in this country could well – uh, learn from if they if they put their minds to it because Jacksonville is totally well for the most part totally homegrown. Mm-hmm. They play at the University of North Florida, and uh, they have a couple of imports. Usually they've in the past they've had the USARL allows you to have six imports on your roster. Only three can play. Only three can be on the field at any one time, but you can have three. Oh, sorry, six on your roster, and they did that. And they did. They had a couple. Well, they had several Aussies in the past, and uh, you know that's when they won the championships. Uh, but but even but, but the you know the point is that they they have a good a good model, um, and I think that's the way you do it. And I think you're right. You don't necessarily look at Los Angeles, or you don't look at New York, although that's where the that's where the the focus always seems to be, isn't it? Um, Philadelphia, for my mind, is a good place. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco is another good place. 
and there were you know maybe uh there there's i know there's a there there are teams in utah because utah is going to play california in an interstate game for the first time ever in in july oh, yeah. uh, th- those sorts of places and i agree with you what you're saying uh, are, are probably where you should be looking at rather than trying to you know crack a big market and and, and when you go to these big markets do you think the media in los angeles <laughs> is going to give one iota or one second of airtime to a, a a fledgling sport like rugby league? No. And I'm yeah, in the media in Los Angeles. I can tell you that. Exactly. And like the chances of you being able to get even something in the newspaper somewhere like an Austin, you know, or a, a San Antonio where you're really only dealing with, the one NBA team and then it's the college sports, stuff like that. I've always felt like that was a better way to do it than to just, you know, put the, put the points on the map. Oh, absolutely. Those, those are two cities. Uh, I think you, you, you come up with an Albuquerque would be another place mm-hmm. in New Mexico. Uh, maybe even Phoenix to a lesser extent, cause they don't have yeah. a lot of, yeah, I mean, they've got an NFL team and they've got Major League Baseball and, and basketball, but but it's a small enough city. You could probably get away with it. You know, but I think you make a good point. Um, what are your thoughts on the idea of a United States competition? And, and let's use the USARL as, a, as a, a base for it, where you get a competition like the USARL and they get some sort of level of backing from, say, the NRL. Whether it's, and I know for the NRL, it wouldn't even cost huge amounts of money, or even if it was like NRL teams that invested. Do you think that something like that, knowing that they're probably going to get nothing back from it in a tangible way, do you think something like that would be good for the game in the United States to have some level of backing from an, an NRL club or NRL competition overall? Yeah, I think that makes much more sense than what this uh, North American rugby league crowd were trying to do. Absolutely. Um, then again, you, you've got to, I guess that would come down to how much the NRL would be willing to uh, invest in America in terms of, you know, players, in terms of uh, uh, practicing uh, skills uh, or just business models, not to mention money itself. I remember when, um, not that long ago, when Peter Beattie was still the uh, one of the commissioners for the ARLC, uh, he was talking to me about what. Remember, remember, he wanted to bring a the the first game of the season, round mm-hmm. zero, they called it. Wanted to yep. play it right here in Los Angeles. I think it was the Rabbitohs and somebody else. That to me was that made sense, yeah. but it never happened again, did it? No, no. And uh, it's interesting when people talk about playing games in the United States. And the first thing I think about is the time zones. And LA makes a lot of different, uh, a lot of sense in that that regard. But they always go to, they're always thinking NFL stadiums, NFL stadiums. I always think the LA Galaxy Stadium is perfect for a rugby league. I don't know why they wouldn't try and play an exhibition NRL game at the LA Galaxy Stadium because it's basically, a, it's almost like a Bank West Stadium. Well, I'm impressed, Freaky, that you even know that because uh, I agree again. That actually used to be called the Home Depot Center. It's mm-hmm. in the city of Carson. And that was where the first um, World Sevens rugby uh, was played when it, when it came to America. And they played it there for a few years. And I went there a couple of times because I was covering rugby union as well back then. Uh, that makes sense because it's about a 
Well, I think typically it's about a 25,000 seat stadium. Maybe it's a bit more. I mean, the Chargers, the, the San Diego, well, the LA Chargers used to be San Diego Chargers started playing there when they first moved out to Los Angeles a few years ago and they were getting, I think, crowds of maybe 32, 33,000. So if you could do that with rugby league, then you might, you might get in the news over here. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the thing also with the game in Denver between, uh, New Zealand and England that I, I was like, why are they playing it at mile, mile high stadium? I understand it's, it's a sexy venue. It's where you'd like to play it. But I, I always thought like, why wouldn't they play it at a venue where you can get a crowd in that feels the atmosphere? And, and is it, you know, I, I just didn't understand that personally. Well, yeah, I didn't either. And I went up there to cover that game. Uh, but again, it was that Jason Moore, uh, was was uh, thinking that it was going to you know be the beginning of something big. Uh, f- fair enough, I guess, for thinking that, but but it wasn't. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm you know you probably watched it on TV, but I was there, and I can tell you, it looked pretty empty that stadium. <laughs> now, what going on a completely different tangent? One of my absolute dreams, if the NRL expanded to, say, 20 teams in the next 20 years, although you could probably put that out to 50 years with how slow the NRL expands, I would love to see a team based in Honolulu. I think it would work in terms of the time zone. I think it would be very easy to get players to go there. I think you could maybe get a little bit of a local interest in it if it was in the right place because you could make it a pretty visible team. And the the travel costs aren't all that bad between, say, the east coast of Australia and, and Honolulu. And also, it's Honolulu. Who doesn't want to go there for an away game? Do you think <laughs> something like that could work if it was subsidised by the TV money in the, the NRL? Yeah, I do. And again, you you'd probably play at Aloha Stadium where the college football team plays. It's not that huge, so you'd probably no. fill it. <laughs> and um, as a matter of fact, there is a there is a consortium uh, you may have read about it mm-hmm. that has uh, designs to set up a, a team in Honolulu to do just that, become part of the NRL. So I, I don't know. They haven't really had much to say. In the last 12 months or so, um, and I don't know how far they've progressed, but yeah, no, I think that would be fine. Uh, and I think that uh, you'd get a lot of Australian fans who would be prepared to hop on a plane and go to Honolulu and make a bit of a bit of a holiday out of it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, look, I'm ready to run their social media right now, if anyone's <laughs> listening. Um, yeah, and, and I think that, that when there's talk about having a team in for the Pacific I always think that Honolulu is the best place for that because you, you know, then you can tap into some commercial center. I know it's, it's a little bit different there in, in Hawaii. Um, but at least there's something there you can build upon commercially. And I, I just think it'd be a, a very cool destination for players that, and it'd still be in the Pacific. You could still literally say it's a, it's a, our Pacific team. I think it'd be a cool idea. Um, is there anything else about rugby league in the United States you would love to set straight? Because I know that a lot of what is said about rugby league in the United States is said by people that have never been to the United States, have never 
had any interaction with anyone involved in rugby league in the United States. And it, it myths can be created in this game, which you well know about. Are there things that you've heard where you're like, well, that's not the case or that's completely wrong that you would love for people that are listening to the podcast to know about rugby league in the United States? Yeah. Yeah. Ricky. It's like I said earlier on uh, the thing that, my, my pet peeve, I suppose, put it that way, is the, the tweets you see on social media from people, and a lot of it, I have to say, comes from rugby league fans in Australia, to a lesser extent, rugby league fans in England, who just are totally clueless, as you just rightly pointed out, about the actual state of play here. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's a romantic idea. Let's get rugby league growing in, in the United States. And yeah, that's, that'd be great for the game. It's got a professional competition. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. It, look, no, that's not the reality of it, it for, for reasons I've explained earlier. So I wish that people would do a little bit more homework before they get on their keyboards and start tweeting nonsense that that's my pet peeve uh i think i think rugby league in america has been up until well up until the pandemic hit anyway it had been going along pretty well uh the team had you know the national team had been doing okay okay they they got done by jamaica last time and therefore they won't be at the world cup this year in in england but i think that was a little bit of a hiccup um, I think for the most part, the game in this country has been going, it's been progressing, put it that way. It's been going forward rather than backwards. And I think it needs to keep doing that. But you've got to be realistic when you when you look at how you're going to do that. And I think rugby league fans who, who you know, in in, uh, in Australia, and let's face it, there are only two states, Queensland and New South Wales, where, where most of these guys come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to have a reality check before you start tweeting. Yeah. I agree. And, and look, I I think that there are times when what is perceived to be a setback for games, in, for the game in a country like the United States, it's actually a good thing because it it resets where everybody knows where the game really stands at that point. And that allows you to build. That allows you to say, OK, we thought we were going to make the World Cup. We lost to Jamaica now we know where we've got to get to. And, and I think you can get positives out of things like that. And I, look, I think there can be positives out of what we've seen over the last six months with the, and I know I'm willing to say it's the, at this stage, it seems like the collapse of the North American Rugby League competition. I think there are positives that can happen out of this. And I just hope that, you know, pig-headedness and, and and stubbornness doesn't get in the way of people saying, look, we just want to play rugby league. Let's sort this all out. Let's get together and let's try and build something that's sustainable. Yeah. And I think ideally, too, you need some people behind it who know what they're doing. In other words, who have experience in rugby league. Maybe that's where your NRL uh, proposal might come into play. Um, And you've got to have, look, how many times have we said it in the last 45 minutes or so? It's essential that you have sound financial backing. You can't have all this, you know, uh, airy-fairy stuff that we've been seeing up until now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, Who's your NRL team? Ah, well, it's the uh, St. George Dragons, as a matter of fact, because as I expected, Plenty to you off air. <laughs> I used to work down in Wollongong in the south coast of New South Wales for a few years, and I kind of 
I kind of adopted the Dragons as my team. Nice. And why did you? I don't. I didn't ask you this before the podcast. Why did you end up moving to the United States? Ah, uh, long story, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. I had come. I actually was working in radio news in Australia uh, in the in the 1990s, and I. I Came over to Canada when the uh, the 1994 Commonwealth Games were in uh, in Victoria there, mm-hmm. and after the games I took a month off and I drove down the west coast of America, drive right down into Mexico, and I just fell in love with the place. But it was only here for a month, and as I've always said to people, you you can't really get a feel for a place in a month. You really need to go and live and work in a in a place, I think, to get the real feel of it. So. It took me a while when I went back home to Brisbane, where I'm from, and I went back and I started applying for jobs, and I finally snagged one in San Diego, and uh, that's what brought me to America, uh, and, I, and I've been here pretty much. I've been back and forth a couple of times, of course, since then, but I, pretty much that's why I'm here. And with the local sports teams, the obviously the NBA, NFL and stuff, who are your teams? You're not a Clippers fan, are you? You didn't do that to yourself. No, I, I'm actually not an NBA fan whatsoever. Oh, yeah. I'm a big LA Rams fan, big fan. Yeah, yeah oh yeah. And I, uh, I've actually interviewed a couple of their players uh, for actually for for rugby league stories, uh, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I hope to get to a couple of their games this coming season. But uh, I, I'm a, as far as uh, NHL goes, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. I'm not an LA Kings fan. Yeah. Uh, I love the Angels. Uh, mm-hmm. Los Angeles Angels, they call them now. They they were the Anaheim Angels originally. Yeah. Uh, I love those guys. Uh, I've been out to the, the 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 park there in Anaheim a few times. It's great. So yeah, that's that's that, that's my professional team. Uh, uh, the well, the teams that I follow anyway. Nice. And have you ever been to uh, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium? I have AT and T Stadium. It is now. Tell me about that because for me. If somebody said, and look, it's it's funny because it's probably parts of it that are dated already, but that to me is, it, you start with the stadium, you start with that as like the ultimate. Yeah, look, I've never been there for a game, but I have done the you know the tourist tour that they do. Uh, the big jumbotron is the thing that sticks out in my mind. Mm. Uh, that huge video screen. It doesn't matter where you are in the stadium where you're sitting, you're going to see the replays. And I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I just like the uh, the way it's set out. But I got to tell you, SoFi Stadium here in LA probably outdoes that. It probably goes to number one now because it's mm-hmm. the newest, biggest and bestest, if you like, uh, football stadium in the country. And I, I can't wait to get to SoFi to check it out myself. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I think that one and the one that they built in uh, Las Vegas, which – I, I don't know what it is about that one. I think it's because it just looks mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. The Raiders, again, I don't know, man. I've always thought that the Raiders were, were an Oakland team. And, yeah. you know, they came to Los Angeles and tried it. That didn't work. Now they're going to Las Vegas. I hope it works for them. But I, I feel sorry for the folks in Oakland because uh, they've been, that's been their team forever. But, they, yeah, you're right. That new stadium in Vegas, uh, that might be another one to put on my to-do list too. Yeah, and the people in Oakland they lost the uh, they lost the Raiders, and then the the Golden State Warriors went across to San Francisco too. They're left with nothing at the moment. I guess they've got the um, athletics though. Well, they might be moving too because uh, oh, that no. that's yeah that stadium they play in is pretty much done, and uh, they've yeah. got to go somewhere else. Yeah, 
Well, look, thank you so much for coming on. I could talk to you probably for three hours about stuff that's <laughs> no nothing to do with rugby league. Um, where can we find you? Where can people follow you? And yeah, anything you've got to promote. Well, thank you. Yeah, you can you can see my articles on rugbyleagueplanet.com. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to at Brian David Lowe. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, Freaky, I, I, I stick to that. And, you know, I do a little bit of other stuff on the side, but uh, uh, that's that's pretty much as far as rugby league goes. That's where you can see me. Awesome. Well, look, thank you for coming on. Love to have you on again in the future. And it's been great to talk to you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a great talking to you, too. And I, I look forward to having another chat.